it, it does fill us with you know an immense amount of pride that you know we are able to to you know have our, our product on on menus and we don't take that for granted at all um you know the relationship we've been able to build with with chefs and customers is hugely important to our business um and we don't take that business for granted ever this is the producers i'm danny valent ben blackmore is a sixth generation farmer and the current custodian of blackmore wagyu the company his father david started in 1988 Blackmore Wagyu operates on a small scale in Victoria, producing one of the most respected and adored Wagyu products in the world. Genetics, breeding, feed, animal care, and a commitment to getting out there in gumboots among the cattle are all key to the Blackmore ethic, along with an unending desire to make every carcass, every bite, better than the last. My name is Ben Blackmore. Uh, I I work for my family's business, which is Blackmore Wagyu Beef. Uh, we specialise in producing 100% full blood Wagyu uh, in Victoria, in Australia. And we have been doing it for just over 30 years, which was a business that my father, da- David, started. David Blackmore had always worked with cattle and had always been obsessed with improving quality through breeding technology. But his early career was in dairy rather than beef. We grew up in a small town north of Bendigo, a little town called Serpentine. Uh, we moved there from South Australia when I was, uh, you know, in, I think when I was a toddler, two or three years of age. Um, so I've mainly, you know, grown up in Victoria. Um, however, you know, that was an area that was very much sheep and cropping. Um, Dad had an involvement with, with dairy, as I said, so he was... His, his background was that in the late 70s, he was involved with taking um, embryo transfer out of the laboratory and sort of putting it on farm and making it a bit more commercial. Um, they sold that company to elders um, back in the early 80s, which is why we, we moved to Victoria. Dad was then working for elders and based at Charlton Feedlot. Um, and then after a few years of working with elders, he, he decided to go into business for himself, which was importing dairy genetics from uh, the USA in Canada. Um, and that, you know, ultimately led him to, to finding Wagyu in 1988 or purebred Wagyu in 1988. Dad is a fifth generation farmer. Um, I'm now the sixth generation farmer. So, you know, we would always... Uh, had been involved in farming. Um, Dad didn't have the family farm left to him, so he sort of was always looking for new and different ways to, you know, advance, um, you know, uh, farming, especially with technology. Um, so back then it was about embryo transfer. Um, so that, you know, really led us to, you know, all of those things was a culmination to him being able to, to do what he's done with the Wagyu. When people hear the word Wagyu, They often have the sense that it's Japanese and that there's a certain quality attached to it. But what actually is the fuss about Wagyu? Wagyu is a Japanese breed of cow. Uh, Simply translated, it it is Japanese cow. Um, There are a few different types of Wagyu. There's black Wagyu, uh, there's brown Wagyu. I guess the interesting history of Japan and Wagyu is that the Japanese didn't eat beef until uh, the mid-1870s. 
So they've really only been eating beef for 150 years. Prior to that, the Wagyu were used as a, as a work animal. So it was used in the mines, it was used as a pack animal, it was used for ploughing the fields. Um, and then in the early 1900s, they introduced some European breeds to try and uh, improve the quality of Wagyu. Um, that was all abandoned. Um, so the Mishima animals and a couple of other prefectures like the Hyogo prefecture isolated their herds from any um, influence of these European breeds. So they are, you know, the original, um, original Japanese cattle. So those animals in particular, both Mishima and they call it the Tajima bloodline uh, from the Hyogo prefecture, they're intensely marbled. They're quite small animals, um, but they've got unbelievable marbling. So when the animal is alive, uh, the marbling is actually in a liquid form. Um, and that's the animal's energy. So when they were being used as a work animal, they were able to work really hard one day, recover overnight and work hard the next day. And just naturally that was the animal that the farmer would breed from because it was a good working animal. Um, so those animals in particular, you know, had unbelievable amounts of marbling. When you plan a business that's built on careful, considered breeding, it makes sense to start small. You know, originally they, they started with seven animals on feed um, and then that, you know, went to 14 and then we built it to 40 and then, you know, I think now we've got to almost 4,000 animals in our, in our system, um, which uh, sometimes can sound a lot, but, you know, when you look at half the herd is for breeding and then the other half is essentially for, um, you know, producing meat, um, you know, it's such a long time to produce every animal from the time you make the cow pregnant to the time it hits the plate is a touch under four years. So, you know, we need to, if we're producing 70 animals per month, uh, we need to have those 4,000 animals in the system to be able to achieve that. Um, you know, 70 animals a month isn't, isn't very much at all in terms of, you know, beef, beef production. Ultimately, we try and produce the very best quality. Um, we are very much focused on continual improvement. Um, we're a family business. Um, so everything we do is really, really important along the whole supply chain. So we breed all, our, all of our own animals, we fatten them. Um, we then get them processed at an abattoir and then we market them around the world um, and in Australia um, under our own brand. So there's only a handful of you know family owned uh, fully integrated businesses out there um, that, that are doing that. So you've grown the animal, you're proud of it, but how do you get it to market? Dad didn't really know much about the meat side back then, so it was literally a whole carcass to <laughs> to restaurants. Um, so, and uh, then it sort of got to the point where, you know, the abattoir would would help to, to cut, cut up the animal and deliver it that way. Um, you know, then we, we moved into the phase of using distributors. Um, so we, you know, would have one distributor for every country. Um, and then, yeah, we've sort of grown the business from there, from selling carcasses. Now we just sell individual cuts and now we produce almost 40 different cuts from every animal. It can be drilled right down to the specification of the cut. You know, we want it trimmed a certain way. We want less fat here and, you know, we, we, we would like it packed this certain way and this certain amount per box because that's how many we use each week. And that's the whole point of our business is that we're small enough that we're able to 
um, you know, really specialise um, in what we do. Um, the, the the most difficult challenge for us at the moment is because Wagyu has become so popular around the world, um, it's still the fastest growing breed in Australia. Um, I think there's going to be, they expect there to be about 175,000 crossbred Wagyu and, and Wagyu, full blood Wagyu produced in 2021. Um, which is a huge amount for a breed that, you know, 15 years no one really knew about. Um, so there's a huge demand for it, which is leading to a lot of, you know, corporates and hedge funds and super funds and that sort of investment happening in the Wagyu industry. So uh, as a family business, you know, there's, there's becoming more and more competition every day. And those guys are doing it on really big, large scales that can do it cheaper and, you know, cheaper than we can. It wasn't quite that Blackmore Wagyu won an Oscar, but there's a connection between the movie awards and this Australian beef. We're talking so early, you know, 2002, 2003, um, you know, back then some of the customers, uh, or about half the production was going in Australia and half was being exported to the USA. Um, I guess the big break was in 2005, uh, Wolfgang Puck used our um, beef at the Oscars dinner. Uh, then uh, Thomas Keller started using our product for the French Laundry. Um, and I guess that's really what sort of started to put us on the map, um, especially overseas. Um, you know, around that time, I think it was 2006, Rockpool Melbourne opened um, and we started a, a very long and close relationship with Neil Perry. Um, and from there, it's just grown. You know, it's there's been a lot of great supporters of our product over the years and there still are even to this day and a lot of them are, are long-term loyal customers um, and you know without without them we don't have a business so everything we do in terms of making the product is making sure that we are producing something that they want to use um, and you know that's that's I guess really the key to making sure that you know you have that long-term business that's you know been able to you know, sustained the last sort of 15, 20 years, you know, going through everything from GFCs to pandemics and surviving and coming out the other side. As it's turned out, Ben Blackmore is a sixth generation farmer, but he didn't plan it that way. Working in a family business has been fantastic. Um, I never thought I was going to be a farmer. I finished school and went and did business marketing at university. Um, it was only years, you know, after uh, doing the course at university that I saw that there was a real business side to agriculture. Um, so my father uh, was in very intent on me not coming home straight away. So he, we, we made sure that I went and worked for, for other companies before. So I worked for, for two Japanese meat companies before I, for almost five or six years before I came and worked with the family business. Um, I've been working with the family business, uh, I think now for over 12 years. Um, my sort of expertise uh, when I first started was definitely the meat side um, and sort of trying to, you know, break up the animal and what we've been able to do is identify different markets and countries around the world that, you know, pay a premium for those cuts, um, especially, you know, through Southeast Asia where they'll have uh, certain cuts that they'll pay a premium for because they're the most popular cuts in those countries. So um, I think it's it's been a you know i've really enjoyed working with my father um it's it's been a great uh, you know 
10, 12 years. He's, uh, he's now turning 71 this year, so he's starting to slow down and doing a few different projects that he enjoys, some passion projects. Um, he still is very actively involved in, in the Wagyu business. I try and make sure that, you know, there, there's not a single thing we ask our staff to do that we won't do ourselves. Um, you know, I would actually prefer to be out there working in the cattle yards um, and looking at the animals and working with the animals. Um, that's that's where I'm, you know, enjoy my job the most. Um, unfortunately, you know, that's just one small part of of running a family business. You know, the, you need to do everything else as well which is you know managing the staff and uh, looking at the financials and you know making sure you've got enough money to pay the bills and um, also you know making sure that you know one one big part of my job is still you know doing the processing and marketing of the meat and um, at the moment we're, we're super busy as as Sydney and Melbourne you know start to come alive again and you know, they uh, you know, chefs are, are running around trying to do new menus. And so it's a very, very busy time at the moment um, in regards to that, that side of the business. So it's, it's, you kind of need to have a number of hats when you're running a family farm and a family business. Um, you know, you just don't have one job. You know, today I can be meeting a chef and tomorrow I could be, you know, walking through the animals and, and looking at feed rations and uh, and all of those types of things. So it's, it's, it's a very, you know, varied role, um, but it's something that we absolutely love and we, we have a passion for it. Creating connection and understanding between consumers and producers is a big part of the Blackmore's aim and is especially important when considering the enormous challenges posed by climate change. You know, we always encourage chefs, um, customers, consumers to get closer to their farmers to really understand the work that's involved in getting the food to the plate, whether it's, you know, growing salad or, or you know, making um, lambs or beef or whatever it is. There's a huge amount of time and effort and risk involved in producing food. You know, I, I saw, uh, you know, on, on social media the other day that, you know, one of the, the great producers of, you know, um, of vegetables, you know, how it was looking like they're having a fantastic year and then they all, all get a huge downpour and it, it floods the entire, the entire crop. Um, you know, that's just absolutely heartbreaking in, in some sense. And it, it really, it is really, really hard to pick yourself up as a farmer to, you know, go through those, you know, highs and lows of, of and we all go through them, especially with, with drought and climate change. I, I think the, the biggest thing we're starting to see now is the biggest variation in weather than we've ever seen before. You know, all of a sudden you can have, you know, a, a hot week and then you get these huge downpours out of nowhere um, and as a farmer who you know you have crops and hay and all these things that you're trying to produce you kind of need that consistency of weather to be able to produce a really high quality product and the, the variability in, in the climate is is creating a lot a lot of trouble for farmers but you know ultimately as farmers we need to start to look at you know different technologies um, really look at the way that we, we we farm and trying to reduce the emissions and really pay it, play our part in in trying to you know fight climate change. 
Climate change and a desire to operate sustainably also affects the Blackmore's feeding and weight gain regimes. We we have a, a little bit of a different view, I guess, to most of, of how to feed cattle. Um, we feed our animals uh, for, for a much longer period than most, but we also look at a natural daily weight gain um, that, you know, they would do if they were grazing in a paddock. The hardest thing in farming in Australia and around the world at the moment is obviously climate change and you know the quality of the grass can change from day to day. So one of the things that we do is we have a, a low density feedlot where we feed our animals um, and we're able to give them the same diet and nutrition every single day. Um, one of the key focuses that we've always looked at is sustainability of what we do and how we do it and we've created a ration that's created entirely from byproducts of human food production. Um, so there's still natural things that the animal would eat out in the paddock, the grains and seeds that they would normally eat, but it's after, you know, they've been processed for human food production. So it's what's left over after making flour and what's left over after, you know, making beer, for example. So um, it's really important that, you know, we're actually able to make our product from byproducts that would normally just be a waste product. Producing and selling Wagyu is one thing, but what's it like to eat your own beef thousands of kilometres from where it was farmed? Uh, eating our Wagyu in restaurants around the world is, is a fantastic um, experience. It's, it, it sort of makes you feel uh, that the world is actually quite a small place, um, that you can, you know, there's been a cases where I've, you know, sat down at a restaurant in Oman and they, they had our, our, our beef on the menu. Um, it's been a really fantastic experience I can't wait to do it again um, you know we've got some amazing customers all over the world um, that we want to go visit again and we we believe it's really really important to, to see those customers we like to always you know do presentations to the staff and uh, make sure that they really understand how we produce our beef and why we do it in the way that we do um, and I think it also helps them then talk to the customers when, when they're ordering the product. You know, if they can speak freely about the way, uh, you know, the beef was produced and, um, you know, really express to the, to the, to the customer sitting, sitting down to eat the meat that, you know, um, it's just not an ordinary piece of beef that a lot of time and effort's gone into it. Our ultimate goal is we want somebody to sit down and eat our beef and just go, wow. That's, I've never eaten anything that tastes like that before in my life. Um, we, we work really hard on the flavour of our beef, which uh, comes from not only the genetics, but also the, the feed ration that we give them. Um, not all Wagyu tastes the same or has the, you know, the same, uh, you know, texture and uh, the way that it, it works in the mouth on your palate. Um, so for us, it's, it's really, really important that we, you know, create a product that, you know, people can just go, wow, that was really extraordinary. Um, so I hope we are achieving that, but that's our ultimate goal. Um, I think that's what we're always, you know, striving to, to achieve. Um, there's, you know, uh, quite a few restaurants around the world where we get fantastic feedback all the time from them. We're in constant communication with them. Um, ultimately, you know, the fact that they keep buying our beef hopefully tells us that we're doing something right. Fathers and sons can go through interesting times. But what's it like for Ben to work with his father, David? We're pretty simple. You know, quite often it might just even be a little smirk uh, between one another and a, a bit of a mutter of, oh, that's pretty good. Um, but ultimately, you know, um, 
we're, we're probably our own biggest critics uh, in what we do. Um, as I said, you know, one of the things that he's always instilled as instilled in the business is that we want continual improvement. Um, and until you know, I, I think one of the things that he said in a in a Japanese interview once was that his objective was that his worst carcass to be as good as his best carcass uh, was probably you know I guess that's probably the motto of of our business. The proudest thing that I think we we can do as as a family business is have a product that is really really consistent. Um, that you know we're we're very much want to show uh, you know that we have a lot of integrity in what we do and you know if we have some products that we don't believe is to the standard of, 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 of what we set for ourselves we we don't actually sell it to the market you know we, we sell it in you know other channels um, at, you know a discounted price and we make sure that you know that our brand and the product that we produce will meet the expectations of the customer, whether it be a chef or a, you know, or, or somebody sitting down and eating a steak at home that they've bought from a butcher shop. Being a farmer is hard but satisfying. What is it that keeps Ben Blackmore working in Wagyu? I love that it's so varied. As I said, you know, on a daily basis, we can be doing something different every day uh, across the whole business. Um, you know, we love being able to get that direct feedback from from chefs and customers that's you know then as i said it's the number one thing for us is that as long as we're able to satisfy them um you know that will hopefully you know keep us in business for for another 30 years um you know it's it, it does fill us with you know an immense amount of pride that you know we are able to to you know have our, our product on on menus and we don't take that for granted at all um, you know, the relationship we've been able to build with, with chefs and customers is hugely important to our business um, and we don't take that business for granted ever. We really love what we do. It's, it's something that, you know, we both enjoy doing every day. It's never a chore. Um, and I guess if you find something you love, they say that you don't work a day in your life. And I guess that's how we feel. Some beef producers process thousands of carcasses a week. Blackmore Wagyu only sends 70 animals a month to market. It's small-scale farming with huge ambitions and worldwide success. This is definitely Wagyu that makes customers say, wow. This is The Producers, a Deep in the Weeds production. I'm Danny Vallant. Stay tuned as we talk to some of Australia's best farmers, makers and growers. Follow us on Instagram at Producers Podcast or contact us via deepintheweeds.com.au.